On March 22nd, two Air Force pilots ejected from their F-5E fighter jets shortly after their planes clipped each other during a training mission. Lieutenant Luo Shanghua's body was found on the day of the accident, but it would take another 27 days before rescue crews recover the remains of Captain Pan Yingchun. At 7 o'clock Sunday morning, they found his body near Nanren Fishing Port in Taidong, and now he's brought back to his hometown in Pingdong. An autopsy will be performed to determine the cause of death. As this photo shows, around a dozen soldiers carried Captain Pan's remains on the shores of the Nanren fishing port in Pingdong. According to the locals, they found his body next to a jetty. At around 7.30 this morning, I saw the army driving past. His body was still intact when it was discovered by the jetty. The military flew Pan's remains to Zhihang Air Base in Taidong in a helicopter before transporting it to the Municipal Mortuary Services Office for identification. Pan, who was 28, was killed on March 22nd along with his colleague, Lieutenant Luo Shanghua, during a training session of air-to-ground target shooting when they were ejected from the planes which had clipped each other. After the incident, the military and the Coast Guard sent out rescue crews to comb the area. Little by little, they found wreckage of the fighter jets and other items. But for several weeks, it looked as if they were no longer making any progress. Despite that, the crew never gave up. After searching for 27 days, they found Captain Pan's body Sunday morning at a spot that was about 20 kilometers south of the location where his plane vanished from the radar. The past weeks have been rough for everyone. At least we found him. Now we will do whatever we can so that Pan Yingchun may rest in peace. It's good that he's finally home. The Air Force Command headquarters have confirmed the discovery of Captain Pan and pledged to assist with funeral proceedings. It also promised to get to the bottom of what caused the accident and improve risk management. All the efforts are to avert a repeat of such a tragedy. Taipei Mayor Koenja said he was feverish the night he got vaccinated against COVID, but he said it was no big deal as he still went to work the following day. However, he revealed that his wife would rather wait until the Pfizer vaccine is available, a choice CECC spokesman Zhuang Renxiang said he fully respected. I had a fever and a headache the night I got vaccinated, but it was no big deal for me. I still went to work the next day. They aren't telling us when the vaccines will be available or if there will be other types of vaccines to choose from. My wife said she won't get the AstraZeneca vaccine. She wants something else. And I told her, sure, but if I don't get the shot, it'll become a political issue. So I went and got the jab. The mayor of Taipei said lightheartedly that he felt unwell the very day he got vaccinated and that his wife would not be getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. Instead, she will wait until other vaccines are available. Of course, I respect her choice. Everyone can choose which vaccine they want to get. We've also said several times that the Moderna vaccine will likely arrive in May. Self-paid vaccines have been made available and starting Monday, reservations will be open to the public. The shots are available in 31 hospitals nationwide. So far, the nation's vaccination rate is merely 10%. To raise it, the CECC has lowered the threshold for self-paid vaccines. 
Originally, they were only available to groups of 10 or more. Now six would suffice. We have expanded on the number of locations for vaccination. That means for each location, it may not be as easy to gather groups of that many people. So we've lowered the threshold to make it easier to get vaccinated. The CECC also encouraged foreign companies to make group reservations at 500 to 600 NTD per person. However, whether vaccination rates for the AstraZeneca vaccine will increase remains to be seen on the 21st, which will be the very first day for self-paid vaccinations. A road-running event was held in Taipei on Sunday, but with all the political figures who turned up, it was more like a political rally. In addition to Interior Minister Xu Guoyong, Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe, Taoyuan Mayor Zheng Wenchan, some of the top contenders for the next Taipei mayor also made an appearance. They included KMT's Jiang Wan'an, the DPP's Gao Jiayu, and Enoch Wu, as well as Taipei Deputy Mayor Huang Shanshan, who actually ran in the race. The race was off as soon as the VIPs fired the starting pistols. Around a thousand runners took part in the event, including Taipei Deputy Mayor Huang Shanshan. On stage, DPP legislator Gao Jiayu sang a song titled Torment and dedicated to Deputy Mayor Huang. Taipei City Police Chief Chen Jiachang didn't want to see his superior get taken advantage of, responded with an opera aria. Besides runners, political figures were everywhere. They included Minister of the Interior Xu Guoyong, Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe, and Taoyuan Mayor Zhen Wenchan, who all came to sound off the starting pistols. Top contenders for the next Taipei Mayor, the DPP's Inoku and KMT's Zhang Wanan, also showed up, making the event look more like a warm-up match for the 2022 Taipei mayoral election. The organizers always invite legislators and city officials, so we often run into each other. This is perfectly normal. I think the DPP has many excellent people who hold public positions. We all hope to give them more support. No matter what their next step is, the most important thing is to show our vision for Taipei. I think this is what Taipei citizens expect. It is clear that political parties are jockeying for position as the next mayoral election looms, and the competition will only get more intense from here. Well, the weather was mostly sunny and cloudy island-wide over the weekend, and that is not helping the drought situation. Now, all hopes are on Typhoon Sergei to see if it'll replenish the reservoirs. However, the Central Weather Bureau said the precipitation to be brought by the storm will concentrate on the east coast.
In terms of moisture, the windward areas such as Ilan and Hualien on the east coast may be affected by the moisture brought by the second typhoon of the year starting Wednesday. So there may be scattered brief showers. In addition, there may be sporadic showers in the mountainous areas in the central and southern regions. According to Peng Qiming of Weather Risk Explore, the typhoon will be closest to Taiwan on Wednesday and Thursday. Despite not bringing too much rain to the parched reservoirs, there is still hope that the northward movement of the storm will increase the strength of southwesterly winds, giving a favorable condition for rains in May and alleviating the drought. The Asian weightlifting championships were held in Uzbekistan earlier this week. Taiwan's Fang Wanling in the women's 49-kilogram category saw her overall standing drop to sixth place after referees determined that the width of her belt did not conform to regulations. According to a professional weightlifting coach, it is true that the width of the weightlifter's belt cannot exceed 12 centimeters. However, if an athlete's belt width is deemed not conforming to regulations by the referees, he or she should be informed of this before going on the platform. For Fang to be abruptly inspected in the middle of her match is something unprecedented in the championship's history. The Tokyo Olympics are less than 100 days away and athletes are training harder than ever. Taiwan's men's badminton team is still to be determined by points won at major tournaments. But with many top players competing, Taiwan is certain to be a strong presence at the Games. We spoke to top shuttlers including Zhou Tiancheng and Wang Ziwei about their training regimes. As the Tokyo Olympics draws closer, Taiwan's men's badminton team is shaping up. Points can be won until June 15th, but with Zhou sitting at world number 4 and Wang Ziwei at number 10, their spots are as good as guaranteed. It's hard to stay in peak condition, psychologically, mentally and physically. I need to up my preparations on every front because there's less than 100 days left. Zhou bowed out in the semi-finals at all three Thailand Open Championships in January, but he's lost no confidence. He he says that while many athletes were frustrated at COVID isolation rules, it was a good chance to have some alone time and settle his thoughts. I think I'm used to it. When I go back again, I'll have to isolate for the fourth time. I'll have more time to be alone, and I can concentrate on my training. Really, it's a time when nobody can come in contact with you and you can have a good rest. It will be Wang Ziwei's first time at the Olympics, and he's focused on preparations. We're planning for me to play in Malaysia and Singapore before Tokyo. I think I can use them as a test of my condition to judge what kinds of preparations I still need to make before the Olympics. In the world of doubles, Li Yang and Wang Qilin triumphed at all three Thailand Opens. They also beat the defending champions from Indonesia to win the BWF World Tour Finals for Taiwan for the first time. Now ranked at world number three, the pair only came together in 2019, but hope to leave the mark in Tokyo this summer. 
It's still not completely certain who will qualify for the Olympics. We'll have to wait for the last two international tournaments to say for sure that we can go to Tokyo. So right now, we still can't be complacent. We're still training hard for the upcoming matches. I think we should stay humble. I don't think we're better than anyone else. Maybe it's just that we had a chance come along and managed to grab it. So we feel we need to stay humble and stay challengers, always, and enjoy the experience of the matches. The exact roster for the Olympics will rest on the athletes' performance in the main Malaysia Open and the June Singapore Open. Badminton fans across the country are on the edge of their seat. In Pingdong's Wandan Township, farmers are at a crossroads over the use of herbicides. Now, this area is famous for producing azuki beans. For decades, many farmers have used an herbicide called paraquat to dry their beans to make them suitable for harvest. But in 2020, a ban was imposed on the use of paraquat, leaving farmers scrambling to find another solution. Today, we head down south to explore the complicated relationship between farmers and their herbicides and to visit a township that's found a safe way to dry its crop. In Kaohsiung City in Pingdong County, in the period between fall harvest and the plowing of the land in spring, farmers traditionally grow short-term crops for extra income. In Wandan Township, the main short-term crop is azuki beans. Farmer Chen Guohua harvests his azuki beans when they ripen naturally. He also lets the plants age normally from the time they blossom to when they wilt. They go through the stages of life completely, undisrupted by man-made chemicals. When crops have truly aged naturally, the texture when you eat them will be different. When you cook them, they also smell different. However, as he watches the machine harvest the fruits of his labor, Chen can't get himself to feel an ounce of happiness. Having seen bean farms all over Kaohsiung and Pingdong, these harvesters are well aware of what the problem is, moisture. The azuki beans aren't dry enough, leaving them prone to becoming moldy in storage. Packed half full with beans, the machine suddenly stops. Upon inspection, the moisture in the plants appears to be the cause. The beanstalks and their pods contain moisture, and that's caused the soil to clump up and clog the delivery pipe. Naturally ripened beans are in the minority. They take more work to harvest. We don't really like harvesting this type because it takes up so much time. Due to the many difficulties involved, most azuki bean farmers have given up on growing beans naturally. Most farmers use a technique that lets beans dry quickly and be harvested quickly. In the final stage of the beans' growth, they spray herbicides that accelerate the wilting process. In the past, farmers tended to use an herbicide called paraquat, which is inexpensive and highly effective. However, it's also toxic to humans and can be fatal if misapplied. After many years of deliberation, the Council of Agriculture implemented a complete ban on its use in February 2020. Uh, 
Over the years, there were many tragic stories of farmers or members of the public misusing paraquat, resulting in the loss of life. So we thought about it and concluded that it's too risky to use. Furthermore, in the international community, more and more countries are looking at these poisonous herbicides and putting an end to their use. Without paraquat, how can farmers speed up the drying process? The COA suggests two alternatives, pelargonic acid and sodium chloride. However, each of these two drying agents has its limitations. Therefore, the question of how to balance consumer safety and crop integrity remains a difficult problem for farmers. In fall 2020, the COA held 10 seminars to discuss a possible third alternative, an herbicide called glufosinate ammonium. One seminar was held at the country's largest azuki bean farming area, Wandan Township, which is known colloquially as the home of the azuki bean. The atmosphere at the seminar was tense as Wandan's farmers rallied against the new herbicide. <laughs> So now, paraquat is banned and we have to use glufosinate ammonium. The government wants us to use glufosinate ammonium. Personally speaking, I am opposed. This is because experts have doubts about this compound. Wandan Azuki beans are a brand. Of all the brands, why would people choose ours? Because Wandan farmers make sure our herbicides are safe. Glufosinate ammonium is a legal herbicide and has repeatedly passed safety testing. However, the compound is absorbed by the plants it's sprayed on. It's unknown how much of the substance is transferred to the beans and how that may affect the human body. As both of these questions are in dispute, farmers in the home of the azuki bean objected to its use. We in the COA are very attentive to the voices of farmers. With regard to the farmers' practical needs, we received feedback from them. They wanted the government to give them more options. Our hope is that farmers use chemical herbicides only as a last resort. Glufosinate ammonium is being considered as an alternative for the banned substance Paraquat. But years ago in Kaohsiung's Mainong district, farmers had already come up with their own replacement for Paraquat. If we want to engage in environmentally friendly farming, we cannot use Paraquat when planting or harvesting adzuki beans. Seven years before the COA banned the use of Paraquat, Mainong district chose to stop using it. Without exception, all contracted farmers were prohibited from using Paraquat to dry azuki beans. Faced with the challenge of drying beans without paraquat, Mainong Farmers and its Farmers Association worked together to create an alternative. They started experimenting with table salt and fertilizers that were promoted as safe by the Kaohsiung District Agricultural Research and Extension Station. Ammonium sulfate and urea are both used as fertilizer. Applying too much fertilizer will damage a plant. So will applying too much salt. Several farmers in Mainong found that by intentionally damaging the crop, they could get it to wilt faster. Consumers have greater demands now when it comes to food safety. I think that Mainong's adzuki bean industry was slower to develop. Daliao District and Pingdong's Wandan started much earlier. 
Therefore, when trying to make inroads in this industry, we have to put more emphasis on environmentally friendly farming. That way we can catch up with the competition. To get more farmers to use the new technique for drying crops, the association rolled out incentives. <laughs> the association offered to buy azuki beans at an above-market price to encourage local farmers to get on board. Although that induced many farmers to try out the new technique, getting it right was easier said than done. With support from a team, the farmers approached the new technique with the spirit of experimentation, learning as they went along. After years of trial and error, they've perfected a formula and worked out the ideal SOP for applying it. Spray when it's almost yellow, that's how you get the best effects. There's about 200 litres of water in here. We adjust the amounts proportionally, 20 kilograms of urea and 5 kilograms of salt. It's more environmentally friendly and it won't harm your body, so it's fine if you don't wear a mask. You just spray until everything is covered in salt. Meinong has used this technique for seven years, and it's caught the attention of consumers. With farmland totaling 1,000 hectares, Meinong is Taiwan's second largest azuki bean production area, second only to Wandan, which boasts 1,500 hectares. Paraquat is banned, but Meinong farmers have no need to turn to glufosinate ammonium. Farmers here have worked together to produce all the plump azuki beans they can handle. I'm a farmer. I grow things for people to eat. If I grow something I myself would not want to eat, I would not give it to others to eat. We're already in our second spring, so we want to farm in a way that's more environmentally friendly. As someone who works the land for a living, my hope is for more people to get acquainted with Taiwan's azuki beans. Actually, Taiwanese azuki beans are fairly high quality. The beans we grow here are top-notch. With climate change a growing concern, growing food naturally is increasingly difficult and many farmers turn to herbicides. But despite the challenges, some farmers are finding ways to stick to their guns, producing all-natural food that's good to the earth and to those who eat it. <laughs>